What is going on, everybody? And welcome to Flag to Flag. We're talking NASCAR on Fox Sports 640. Suits from the KVJ Show on our sister station, 97.9 WRMF, here with you to talk about the sport that I just absolutely love. And man, we have had a pretty wild start to 2021, to say the least. Two first-time winners back-to-back to start a season. That hasn't happened since 1950. It's only the third time it's happened, and just the first two seasons of NASCAR ever have had two first-time winners to start off the year. We have that this year. Michael McDowell pulled off the improbable Daytona 500 win, just blew everyone away with that upset victory, and then this weekend, it might not be as big of an upset, but it wasn't the guy I picked to go to victory lane, Christopher Bell is a winner in the NASCAR Cup Series, his first career win. It is the second start of his second season, which, talk about a strange but true fact, Christopher Bell has actually won the second race of his second season in every division of NASCAR. In 2017, he won in Atlanta in the Truck Series. 2019, he did it again in Atlanta in Xfinity, and then this Cup race at the Daytona Road Course, and he did a great job out there. He had some help with some uh, controversial-ish caution flags that we'll get to coming up in a little bit on the show, but either way, he was in the hunt for most of the race, and he made the pass late on Joey Logano coming to the white flag, pulled away by over two seconds on the final three and a half miles went on to score his first career victory and it's the first win he has with his new crew chief and a new organization he raced with gibson xfinity he was with an affiliate team at gaunt brothers last year and now this year he's got the opportunity or sorry that's levine family racing last year this year he has the opportunity to take over for eric jones shoot over to the 20 car and join joe gibbs in the cup series Already got a win, already in the playoffs. What an impressive start to the season for Christopher Bell. And for Adam Stevens, his brand new crew chief, who was kind of thrust into a little bit of controversy involving his former driver, Kyle Busch. That was a partnership that had gone for a very long time. They won two titles together. But with Adam Stevens leaving the team, Kyle Busch gave an interview last week and kind of said Adam quit on him. Kyle said that he wanted to make some changes to the organization, personnel changes, more importantly. And Adam basically just said, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. I'm not making any of these changes. So he left, joins Christopher Bell's team, and they go out right off the bat and get to victory lane. It's got to be at least some kind of validation for Adam Stevens to be in victory lane so quick, especially with a young driver who he hasn't really worked with on any level until this season And then you add in how trying the times are with the pandemic. You can't work together as a normal team and get yourself prepared for the season the way that you were able to when we were living a normal life. So for Adam Stevens and Christopher Bell, I think it makes it all that more impressive that they were able to pull off this win at the Daytona International Speedway on the road course, too, which you want to perform on these road courses, seven of them. On the schedule this year, the Daytona Road Course has found a way back onto the schedule with the cancellation of the race at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California due to the pandemic. 
But with seven road course races out there, you have got to be good on this style of racetrack. And Christopher Bell proved that he can run on the road. He's had fantastic stats in the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series. This is going to be one of those situations, I think, where once the first one comes, the floodgates are open. I think Christopher Bell is going to be a multi-time winner sooner rather than later in NASCAR because he's got the best team behind him. He's got a fantastic crew chief, and now he's already got that first win out of the way and did it in stunning fashion there at the Daytona International Speedway. He stopped one great streak, though, that had been running for a while. I'm talking about Chase Elliott, who's looking like he might be the new king of the road courses. Jeff Gordon, he was the king. He retired a couple of years back. And he has that impressive streak of six consecutive races, one on the road. Now, we only ran twice a year at road courses back then, so he kept that going for three years. But for Chase Elliott, he had the opportunity to go ahead and pass the record right here at Daytona, or this season, rather, because we have so many road course races. He's already got a four-race win streak coming in, and it looked like he was going to be the guy to get this race win again, he led a race high 45 of the 70 laps, started from the pole after his second place finish in the Daytona 500, and was fairly dominant, but things started to fall apart. It was the weather caution that everybody is upset about, that everybody has something to say about. And like I said, come up in a little bit, we're going to talk about that caution a little more in depth. But on lap 57, that caution put Chase Elliott back in the pack. And then once you're back there, especially on these road courses, there's so much happening. It's so easy to have contact. Chase Elliott, Corey LaJoy, they get together on a late restart. And seriously, the save of the year, and I know we're early in it, but this might even go back to last season. You got to look at how Chase Elliott somehow held on to that car. First of all, he gets pushed into the grass, which has decimated the splitters on these cars so many times, but he doesn't rip the front end off. Somehow he keeps it on there. He avoids the signs they've got on the side, which at literally the exact same time, Tyler Reddick is crashing into and catching on fire. Chase Elliott slides works the wheel like you wouldn't believe if you have not seen the clip i've got it reposted on my twitter at suits kvj on twitter you can check that out but it is an unbelievable piece of driving he saves the car he gets another shot to get back up front drives all the way through and then gets turned he was trying to do the crossover move and as soon as he made that move i saw it developing he wasn't clear of denny hamlin he cut across his nose spun himself out 21st place, ending a streak of four consecutive road course victories for Chase Elliott. The next road course coming up in May, that'll be Circuit of the Americas, and then we've got Sonoma very quickly after that. We'll see if he can restart his streak. I I think it is a safe bet to say Chase Elliott will start another streak, and he will start it soon. I don't know that he's going to win Circuit of the Americas. I definitely think, though, he's going to win a road course race again this season, potentially even two, because he has got some kind of skill on the road, man. I mean, when you look at how he ran on Sunday, it was kind of scary. He was destroying the entire field, untouchable, until those issues happen later on in the race. Unfortunately for Chase Elliott, uh, relegated him to a poor finish outside the top 20. Ends that streak. We'll see how he bounces back this weekend as we head back to the Oval at Homestead Miami Speedway. And uh, some other guys to keep an eye on, too, who had fantastic runs on the road course. Some, honestly, I'm more blown away by because they had such incredible rebounds. Kurt Busch 
got out front, was having a great run, and he just blew the kink. Ran wide just past the halfway point. He went through a forward drive through the grass all the way on the run from the kink down to turn number five. And how he did not rip the front end off that car again blew my mind. He held on to it, and he came back for a fourth-place finish. Brad Keselowski also ended up getting himself a top-five finish. And you look at Brad Keselowski, that car was terrible. It seemed like he was going to blow through almost every single corner that he got to. Locked it up so many times how he didn't flat spot a tire and cost himself a good run. I have no idea. He even got turned by Kurt Busch right after Kurt ran wide. So you've got Kurt Busch off the track. He gets back on the track, falls all the way back in the field. The next lap, he turns Brad Keselowski. Those two end up both in the top five at the end of the day, salvaging great runs. Those are the guys you watch for and you see who can make a champion championship run come together because when you look at a guy like Brad Keselowski especially they rebounded they proved that they can come back from adversity get themselves into the hunt no matter the situation and the two team looked very impressive almost won the Daytona 500 a late race crash took him out of that one and then a fantastic run and then rebound after what looked like a really bad road racing car that he had to come home in the top five finish. Another guy that you got to really shout out here, A.J. Allmendinger. He was really impressive, and it's it's a surprise, and it's not a surprise at the same time, because when it comes to road racing, A.J. Allmendinger has always been impressive on the roads, and, you know, we've seen him in the Xfinity Series win a number of races. He got his one career cup win back driving for JTD Doherty Racing in the 47 a few years back when he won at Watkins Glen, but he hasn't been in a cup car since Homestead November 2018. No practice, no qualifying, starting outside the top 30. They throw AJ into this car. He might have been a contender for the win, but he got a green flag speeding penalty. He rebounded a seventh place finish after his troubles on lap 35, but... A.J. Allmendinger still very impressive to me, even though he's so great on the road and did not get a top five. The fact that he had been out of the car for that long in the Cup Series, came back and got himself a good finish. I'm sure we're going to see him a few more times this year as Cowlig makes their move from the Xfinity Series to the Cup Series. And we will see more runs out of A.J. Allmendinger, who is also off to what I think is going to be an impressive run in the NASCAR Xfinity Series full time this year. I am so excited to see what A.J. is able to do out there on the track. Got to give a call to to Michael McDowell. We talked about him, the Daytona 500 champion. And again, Michael McDowell is a guy who knows how to road race. We've seen him have so many good runs. If you told me Michael McDowell was going to win a cup race, I would have told you it was probably going to be on a road course. But that wasn't the case. He does it on the super speedway at Daytona International Speedway in the Great American Race. Gets that win. And then with this qualifying procedure we have currently, he's able to spin that around to a front row start. And my eye was on him from the drop of the green, right off the bat, flat tire. He runs wide in turn one, ends up having to limp to pit road. Early caution comes out for debris. And you think, man, this sport just humbles you so fast. But Michael McDowell quietly, because I understand had one of those moments where you're watching the race and you glance up and you see, wait, Michael McDowell's in the top 10? When did he get back there? That's exactly what happened. He ends up with an eighth place finish. Great job for Michael McDowell and that small team of front row motorsports. They've got the big payout from the Daytona 500 that's really going to bring this team to another level. Impressive runs like that 
are just going to continue to grow this entire organization. Michael McDowell, a huge shout out to him. He did a fantastic job. And uh, capping off the impressive runs from the weekend, Ryan Priest, ninth place finish. That is his second top 10 finish of the season. He's one of only four drivers to have two top 10s in the first two races, joining Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin. No surprise there. Michael McDowell we just talked about, and then Ryan Priest. What's impressive about this uh, organization and JTD Doherty Racing in the 37, they lost their charter. This is an open team that now has to race their way in week in, week out when we get back to qualifying. And with the way this qualifying pick works, you need to have good owner point standings to guarantee yourself a spot in the event we have more than 40 cars entered in one of these races where we're not qualifying, which because of the pandemic is 28 of 36 races that we're not going to have traditional qualifying. He needs to have those good runs Two top tens for Ryan priest. I mean, we didn't know if he was going to make the Daytona 500 when he first came down two speed weeks, a couple of weeks ago. And now he is looking great, sitting in a great points position after having a fantastic run. You got to give a call to Ryan Priest and that organization for what they've been able to do to start the season. On the flip side of that coin, a couple of guys who maybe did not have good runs to keep an eye out for, Kyle Busch. I don't know what happened here to the 18 team. They got shoved off the track early. We talked about how the grass was so forgiving For Chase Elliott and Kurt Busch, for Kyle Busch, it was not. It did some significant damage to the front end of that car. These splitters are so low, it's like he just cut through the grass like a lawnmower, and it bends it up. You'll sometimes see these cars get air. It does so much damage. Kyle Busch, he gets damage on lap one, and then looks like he's bouncing back before he has another crash with seven to go. A weird accident in the trioval. It almost looked like Kyle Busch was trying to retaliate against somebody. I can't say for sure because we didn't have a great replay angle of it. Regardless, Kyle hit the wall. 35th place finish. Two bad starts to the season because he crashed out of the Daytona 500. Finished in the mid-teens, I believe, there. Um, Unfortunate run for Kyle Busch. But you can never count Kyle Busch back out. You know he's going to turn it around. The man's got a good record at Homestead Miami Speedway. He's won championships there. I think you got to keep an eye out for the 18 car every single week that we're on track because you can't keep Kyle Busch down this long. He's going to get a win again this year. He's not going winless. I don't think he's going to have the struggle we saw last year. He's got a new crew chief. They're going to switch things up. I think Kyle Busch is going to be okay as we head throughout the rest of the season. Coming up in a few minutes, there's a lot of debate over the road course racetracks and the caution procedures. We saw people complaining about that weather caution that changed the outcome of the cup race on Sunday. But also going back to the truck race, we had 10 caution flags in that race. They took a long time, and that was actually the longest race in truck series history at two hours and 44 minutes. So we're going to take a look at what NASCAR had to say about maybe moving to local cautions with the extended amount of road courses on the schedule. Our change is coming. Plus, Ty Gibbs shocked the world. He gets a lot of hate for being Gibbs' grandson. He skipped the truck series, went to the Xfinity series. The rest is history. He's already a winner in just one start. We'll talk about his impressive performance coming up in a couple of minutes. It's Flag to Flag on Fox Sports 640. Flag to flag on Fox Sports 640. I'm Suits from the KVJ Show on 97.9 WRMF, our sister station here at Hubbard Radio. And you know, there was a lot of talk over the weekend about caution flags. It seems like we're always debating what NASCAR does, sometimes more than the competition. 
I didn't see a major issue, and that's a minority opinion. Everybody seems to be upset over the length of the caution flags. Now, some of them I didn't like. The weather caution I took issue with. I thought that was kind of pointless. But we'll start with the overall length of these cautions. The truck race saw some long ones, and there was one in particular where the caution flag was displayed right about the end of a stage for an incident, and there wasn't enough time to restart. This is just an unfortunate situation for everybody involved when this happens because NASCAR closes pit road with two laps to go before the end of the stage. You have a caution late on a track that has long straightaways, long length in general. This road course at Daytona is over three and a half miles. It's going to take a while to do a caution lap. And there's not enough time to restart the race when you have a caution with two to go in the stage, you got to wait for the stage to end, then open pit road, do the commercials that NASCAR and the broadcast partners have all agreed about, all of this stuff. And it made for a nearly 20-minute caution for something that was really not that big of a deal. And it was frustrating. I understand where people are coming from on that one. But that's kind of a catch-22 if that's the way we're doing this. If we're throwing cautions for stage ends, if we're closing pit road with two laps to go in the stage, you can't really change that. You know, I mean, the caution's going to be long because we have to run out the stage. Nobody's going to pit when the stage is going to end. Pit road's close to begin with, so if they do pit, they're getting a penalty. It just doesn't make as much sense to find a way to shorten these cautions when you have a stage end coming. By the time you get everybody lined up, I don't really see what NASCAR can do there. And the solution that everybody has been offering is local caution flags. We see this in road racing uh, a lot. And with NASCAR expanding the amount of road courses we're going to be on this season, it seems like a no-brainer. But NASCAR is not really a big fan of the idea. And I do get what they're saying. They basically, from Scott Miller, the senior VP of competition who was on with Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, was saying, look, we wait as long as we can and we don't typically throw a full course caution on road courses unless we have to dispatch some sort of equipment, picking up debris, oil on the track. Uh, if there's an accident where they actually have to respond to a car, the problem is nothing else really warrants a caution other than that. And the local cautions don't make any sense if you're not going to send vehicles out there to respond to an incident. So there's no real scenario where NASCAR thinks a local caution works. And if you look at the Rolex 24 at Daytona, we had that a couple of weeks ago with IMSA. You even look at Formula One where they do virtual safety cars when the full course caution or a safety car comes out in F1 or IMSA or whatever it may be is for a lot of the same stuff that NASCAR throws the cautions for. If a car stalls on the track and they're not near a place where they can easily pull them off the racetrack, they're going to throw a full-course caution. They do it all the time at the Rolex 24 for calls, uh, cars that stall on the racetrack. It's no different than what NASCAR did. If there's a crash, obviously it's coming out. If there's a big piece of debris that needs to be picked up, they're going to have to throw the caution and I get where NASCAR is coming from with the safety personnel. They don't want them on an active racetrack, even if a section of it is under caution. And we have seen some, albeit rare, incidents, but enough incidents involving safety vehicles where it's better to err on the side of caution, no pun intended, when the caution is out, and just slow the field down, go through the caution procedure. I don't know what's going to happen with the caution flags when we get to Circuit of the Americas, another track that's over three miles long. We've had racing at Road America with the NASCAR Xfinity Series. That's a four-mile-long racetrack. The cautions are long. It happens. But 
what can you really do about it? NASCAR is not going to do the local yellows. I get what they're saying. I agree with their point. It's kind of iffy and dangerous to put safety personnel on the track. The cautions can be long sometimes. That's just what happens on road courses. I've seen long cautions in IndyCar. I've seen them in F1. I've seen ridiculously long cautions in IMSA. And don't even have to start me on how long ARCA cautions can be. Some of the ones they had at Daytona were ridiculous. That's where there's a problem. When we go to an oval racetrack and this caution just draws out forever and there's no reason for it. But on the road courses... We might want to cut them a little slack here. The cautions take a little longer. You don't want cautions? Don't crash. Don't get debris on the track. It's just part of it. There's no changing that. What we should change, on the other hand, is the ridiculous weather rules NASCAR has. This caution that shook up the results of the cup race and has been the source of controversy this week. And and basically what ended up happening is Chase Elliott, as we talked about earlier, was dominant in this race and he had a large lead, but the caution flag ended up coming out and it was for, well, NASCAR felt was heavy enough rain, but it was light rain on the racetrack. And, And when you have a place like Daytona International Speedway, it's huge. If you've never been to Daytona, You've been to a baseball stadium, put 40 of them in the infield. That's probably what you can fit there. It's it's an astronomical number like that, a 400-acre infield. So it is very possible, like it did on Sunday, to rain on certain parts of the track and not rain on other parts of the track. On road courses, we race in the rain. We saw some road racing uh, in the rain this weekend with the trucks. Um, but NASCAR has a weird procedure for how they determine a wet start, a wet race, a rain race, whatever you want to call it. If the race starts and the track is wet, they'll declare it a wet race. You got to have the flashing lights. You got to have your wiper. You start on the rain tires. It's your choice when to go back. That's it. You run the race. That's how it should be. But for some reason, NASCAR has this section in the rule book, and it reads that NASCAR will call a caution when officials determine that, quote, conditions are too wet to continue under dry condition equipment, end quote. And basically that just means they're going to give them a caution so they can switch over to the rain tires. Why? They have wipers on the car. They have the lights on the car. If you need to pit, just pit under green for rain tires. That's what every form of motorsports does in the world that races on rain. If it starts to rain, you drop the slicks, you pit for wet rain tires. That's all you need to do. Why are we coddling the best drivers in the world, as we're constantly told they are, by throwing a caution when the track is still so dry that nobody took rain tires? Nobody. And then it stopped raining as soon as they threw the caution. So I get why people are annoyed, especially if you're a Chase Elliott fan, because who knows what would have happened? Would we have seen the later cautions that were a product of restarts and having this caution come out? Would we have seen Chase Elliott run away with it? It might not have been as exciting as in a race, but it's still the outcome that should happen without interference. I don't care how hard it rains. This isn't an oval. This is a, even if it's got parts of the oval on it, it's a road course. These guys have the option to head to pit road whenever they want, put on the rain tires and just do it. Now, uh, the, the VP of competition, Scott Miller, who was uh, on with a NASCAR Sirius XM radio, gave this um, description basically of what race control was thinking about when this caution came out. He said it was a unique and actually difficult call. I can see why there wasn't a ton of rain. 
Um, now, he does say it was raining hard in a couple of corners, and they feel that, look, the spotters can't necessarily see that rain. It's the people that NASCAR has stationed in the different parts of the track that feel it and can really see the track right in front of them. They're not looking down from the roof with the spotters or where race control is looking down. You've got a view right there on the track, and they feel they don't want drivers going off into a corner they don't know is wet. They don't want to have them caught off guard, so let's send the caution out to let everybody know there's rain somewhere, and then you do what you want to do. I just don't understand why we need to do that. Every other form of motorsports has found a way to come to pit road without an issue if it rains on the racetrack. We don't need to throw this caution. It was unnecessary. It didn't even rain enough to where we could change the tires. It might have rained for all of four minutes. I mean, there was no point for that caution. And if I'm Chase Elliott, I mean, he was frustrated. You can hear his radio chatter, especially on the radioactive version. He's just like, no, it's not. There's no rain. It is not raining hard to his spotter because this is what put them behind the eight ball. This is what made them come to pit road. This is what cost them their track position and ultimately led to them getting off into the grass, having a close call and then getting turned, trying to make up all that ground coming through the pack later on in the race. So if I'm Chase Elliott, I'm, I'm furious because while you can never say I was going to win, too many things change in racing. We don't know there wasn't going to be a caution. There was still a long way to go. We don't know that Chase Elliott couldn't have had an issue. Maybe he was going to blow a tire, but because it rained, he came to pit road. We don't know any of that. But he definitely would have had a much, much better shot of winning that race if NASCAR did not throw the caution for the lightest drizzle on the racetrack. And I think that was ridiculous. Some people argue that they were just trying to spice up the competition. They might have a point. I mean, there really was no need for it. So if I'm NASCAR, cautions on road courses, it's part of it. Sometimes they're long. What can you do? But if it rains, they're big boys. They can go down pit road. They can get their rain tires. They can hold on to it for a lap. We never know when that decision is going to be right. Who knows, if it kept raining, they probably would have restarted on slicks. The track would have gotten wetter. They all would have had to pit under green anyway. So there was really no point to it, and I can see people's frustration over that. Chase Elliott especially because he got cost a very good run based on the events that happened after the weather caution flag um, with about uh, it was a lap 50 or so in the uh, uh, race. Lap 57 was when that caution came out, and uh, Chase had a pretty sizable lead at the moment. Turning to the Xfinity Series on track the day before for a little night racing. The weather was great for the Xfinity race. Um, There's something cool about road course racing at night, watching them shine under the lights, especially seeing those brakes glow in the infield road course portion of the racetrack. But what was so incredible about this NASCAR Xfinity race was really the winner. You know, right off the bat, Austin Sendrick is a great road racer. A.J. Allmendinger, we talked about him in the cup race, a fantastic road racer. I'm like, these two guys are the ones to beat. And then they wreck each other, coming to the stage one finish, battling for the lead. Uh, I mean, A.J., he was blocking. There's really nothing you can say about that. I know there was some debate, but I really don't see what Austin could have done differently. A.J. Allmendinger came across his nose, pushed him all the way down to the double yellow line, coming into the trioval. A.J. got turned. He had a bad finish. Austin, who had no right or yeah, right front fender, managed to find his way back to the front and compete for the win, but it was only good enough for second place, and this is the one I didn't see coming. Ty Gibbs wins the Superstar Batteries 188 at Daytona, and, and that's so surprising because if you don't know who Ty Gibbs is, 
First of all, he's Joe Gibbs' grandson, so you already know the Silver Spoon comments are flying. There's plenty of hate for Ty Gibbs. And after a disappointing situation in the ARCA race at Daytona the week before, he had uh, not a great interview. It wasn't his brightest moment. He got a lot of hate on uh, Twitter, a lot of media members saying, look, you know, that's not how you really should handle yourself. So to come out this week and silence those haters and be grateful for it and find a way to victory lane. And this wasn't a, oh, he backed into the win. I want to make sure everybody realizes that. He didn't get lucky because of the issues with Sindrick. He led 14 laps in the race, which, I mean, we're talking road course racing. There was only 50 and change, so he led a sizable amount of laps, and he had to race hard for it. At one point on a late race restart, he drove through the grass entering turn one, and I thought, he's done. He ruined his car. He ripped off the front end. It somehow survived. He made it through that corner. I have no idea how. Got by Jeb Burton, who was playing some strategy to get the lead late and just could not hold on. Ty Gibbs gets the win in his first ever NASCAR National Series start. When I first saw Ty on the entry list, I thought to myself, look, I get that Joe Gibbs is his grandfather, but we're going to skip the truck series completely. He's just doing his first full-time ARCA season And here he is already in Xfinity driving the 54, which is a fantastic car. It's a great car. It's fast. It runs well. It's the all-star car that we're going to see Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. Ty Dillon is back in the car this weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway for Saturday's Contender Boats 250. But when it comes to Ty Gibbs in the car, I thought, man, this is not going to be a great performance. You're putting him on a road course. You're putting him with less experience than anybody else in the field. You're not even giving him a truck start with KBM first. Here he is in the Xfinity Series, and then he shocks the world, goes on and finds out a way to win this race. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we forget just how young these guys are. Ty Gibbs, yeah, he kind of acted like an idiot after the ARCA race, but he's also a teenager. You know, this is a big opportunity, and he's got so much pressure on him. You know, people love to hate on Ty Gibbs, just like they do with Austin Dillon and Ty Dillon because Richard Childress is their grandfather. Joe Gibbs is his grandfather. He's got a a free pass, at least, to get a ride. He's driving for Joe Gibbs Motorsports. It's the top team in the sport right now, and he's out there competing for them because it's Joe Gibbs, and he's Ty Gibbs. And that gets you a ton of hate. But the guy won multiple races in a part-time ARCA schedule last year. He came right off the bat and got to victory lane in a road course race at Daytona with no practice, no qualifying. He got in that car without ever having driven an Xfinity car and whooped them, won that race, did it on his own, and yet... Somehow they're still giving him hate. They're still going to call him a silver spoon kid. We see this with everybody. Even Dale Earnhardt Jr. got that. Chase Elliott gets it because his his father was Bill Elliott. Why do we attack these guys just because that they are, this is a family sport, and they followed in the footsteps of their grandfathers or their father and wanted to go racing? I mean, it, it sucks because so many people argue that the guys who don't have a connection don't get a fair shot. But then the guys who have a connection don't get a fair shot in the eyes of a lot of fans just because of their last name. It's not their fault that they like racing and they were born into a racing family. He got in the car. He did what he was supposed to do. He won the damn race. 
Give the kid some credit. He deserves to be there. He proved me wrong in that Xfinity race, and now he's got himself a big opportunity because Joe Gibbs has announced he's going to get 14 additional races behind the wheel of that 54. That is a ton of races. You're going to see him next at Phoenix coming up, Martinsville, Darlington, Dover, the Charlotte race on Memorial Day weekend. He's going to follow that up. uh, More road racing at Mid-Ohio, the Tricky Triangle in Pocono. He'll be there in June. Road America, Watkins Glen, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. So there's another three right there. And he'll wrap it up with Michigan, Richmond, the Charlotte Roval, and Kansas in the playoffs. So a great opportunity for Ty Gibbs to get out there on the racetrack and show what he's got. And if he ran that well and he's got that car... Ty Gibbs might be someone to watch out for who could potentially win multiple Xfinity races in 2021. He's definitely an underdog if you're looking for something to put some money on. Ty Dillon, he's going to be an impressive, or uh, Ty Gibbs rather, will be an impressive guy to watch, I think, as the season progresses. Well, coming up in a couple of minutes, Homestead Miami Speedway is playing host to us this weekend in the NASCAR Cup Series and the NASCAR Xfinity Series. It's a great Florida stretch. We started with the Daytona 500. We move on to the Daytona Road Course, and now we're down at Homestead Miami Speedway for a doubleheader of action. We've got the president of the racetrack coming on to talk to us about the weekend and what it's going to be like if you're heading out there. Al Garcia going to be on the show next. Plus, the starting lineups have been released for Homestead. We'll let you know who's starting where coming up in just a few minutes here on Flag to Flag. It's Flag to Flag on Fox Sports 640. I'm Suits from the KVJ Show on our sister station, 97.9 WRMF. Hanging with you, talking a little NASCAR, and I am very excited to have a guest joining us on the show this evening. This weekend, we're heading to Homestead Miami Speedway. We're capping off three weeks of Florida racing with the Daytona 500, Daytona Road Course, and now we head down for a doubleheader of action at the Homestead Miami Speedway, and the president of Homestead Miami Speedway is on with us right now to talk about the race coming up this weekend. Hello, Al Garcia. How you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Jeremy. Uh, first of all, Thank you for having me. Uh, it, it, it was well said. Uh, we, we're really excited and looking forward to uh, February 27th to 28th where we host uh, NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series. Yeah, I am so pumped to get back down to Homestead Miami Speedway. And it's great that we're going to have fans there this time around. You know, we missed out on it last year because of the pandemic, but we've got the procedures in place and there's going to be fans at Homestead Miami Speedway. What can you tell us about the experience that the fans who are going are going to experience this time around, Al? Well, Jeremy, first of all, um, let me start by saying that we're very, very grateful and, and, and humbled Um because last year in June, we were the first event in North America, and quite possibly the world, to have a live audience for a sporting event. And that was in June, and we had a limited number of fans here. We had about 1,500 uh, service members from different branches of the military in That's attendance. That's awesome. And we, uh, we selected them for, for two, two reasons. One is that we knew that they were being tested on a, on a daily basis to gain access to their respective bases. But number two that being uh, enlisted in, in military, we felt that they would be more disciplined in observing the social distancing protocols because what we didn't want, especially the first event out of the box to have a live audience, was to host a super spreader event or an event where, where the pandemic could be propagated. And you know, by all accounts, we didn't have any of those issues. So we were very proud and humbled. Um, we're excited, man. We've got um, a limited number of seats that we were able to sell, and we do still have some premium seating available uh, for Sunday, a limited a limited number. But we're going to be no different than some of the other outdoor sporting venues in town, operating at about 17, 18 percent. 
And so uh, we're going to do some extensive testing and, and so on and so forth to ensure that everybody that comes to Homestead Miami Speedway will be in a safe environment and we're going to require, encourage folks to wear masks and, and observe the social distancing protocols. We have uh, an army of cleaning people that will be constantly wiping down surfaces. So, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be a really positive, positive experience. Yeah, and that was so awesome, by the way, last year, what you guys did with the military members, bringing them in to experience the race. Just a kudos to you guys and a great way to uh, show support to our military members. Love that you guys did that. And Homestead Miami Speedway always puts on such a great show, and you guys have a fantastic facility out there. I really do love the place. The grandstands have an excellent view. I like the fact that they're raised. You can really see everything, no matter where you sit in the grandstands at Homestead. And you put on great shows. Those Xfinity races last year especially had fantastic finishes down there at Homestead Miami Speedway. What do you look for this time around with this race? You got any drivers that you think might be favorites at your racetrack? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you, you said it very well. With the, with the variable degrees of banking, the track is really, really competitive. Xfinity was just unbelievable. And, you know, Austin Sindrick is on a roll. I mean, oh, yes. what he did with, uh, at, at Daytona, giving Roger Penske his first win in an Xfinity race at, uh, at Daytona National Speedway, and he was competitive in the 500 as well. So we're looking for, for both races. Saturday, the Xfinity race is going to be a barn burner, and certainly the cup race. Uh, you know, the, the, being the third race of the season, there's still a lot of playoff spots at stake, and um, I suspect that the drivers in both Xfinity Series and the Cup Series are going to be digging and really racing hard to gain one of those playoff spots. You win the third race of the year, the rest of the regular season, you can be building on that momentum knowing that you're already locked in. Yeah, and that's what I love about this format we have. Every single week during the regular season, that is your opportunity. We saw that with Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500. I mean, what a start to a year to have an underdog winner like that. And you've got that opportunity, and I think we're definitely going to see guys racing very hard at Homestead Miami Speedway. And, of course, there's a pretty cool trophy, too, at Homestead Miami Speedway. I hope you guys have it again this year because I saw we have the Contender Boats 250 on Saturday, and I know you guys tend to give one of those boats away on Sunday. Do we have another one of those for the winner of the Dixie Vodka 400? You know, we're working on that, Jeremy. Uh, Contenders put, uh, you know, reallocated some of their resources to the entitlement of the Xfinity race. But, you know, I suspect uh, we may be able to get Joe Niebuhr off the mark and see if he can have his <laughs> boat show special uh, where we can, we can award it to the, uh, to the Cup Series. You know, this, this track, like you said, is very, so competitive. And uh, depending on what you like or how your car's working, there's, there's a room for, for all the drivers to really gain success. One thing that's not widely known is that the back straightaway is 20 foot higher than the front straightaway. Oh, really? Which, again, yeah, and, and that, that's another reason why the sidelines are so fantastic. But what that does do is that turns one and two, although they look exactly the same as turns three and four, turns one and two are slightly uphill and turns three and four are slightly downhill. So from talking to the crew chiefs and, and, and the drivers, it's very, very difficult to get the car to work on both ends of the track the way they like it. So you either got to give up and compromise one and two and make the car work really well in three and four, or if you think you can uh, build a better lead by being really good through one and two, then you're going to give up a little bit in three and four. So, you know, it's not only the chess match on the track, but it's how they uh, prep and set up their cars to, to, to be able to work. 
and deal with that, you know. But we've seen it as a little bit streaky. I mean, Greg Biffle, I think, won three in a row back in the day, you know, and then Demi, Denny Hamlin has had a lot of, of success lately. Uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Harvick is very good here, along with all these young guys that are now. I mean, you cannot rule out Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, uh, Bubba Wallace. Uh, there's gonna, it's it's really exciting. I can't I can't wait for uh, for February 27th, the 28th. Yeah, and you know that's what's so great about Homestead Miami Speedway. All those kind of racetracks where you have differing uh, ends and you have to compromise on one side of the racetrack. It really does make for great strategy, and it's a challenge for those crew chiefs. And what's one of the things that makes the racing at Homestead so great? And, you know, I'm always looking at Kyle Larson, though, when we go to Homestead Miami Speedway. He's had a great start to the season, even though the finishes haven't really been there for him. Made what could have been the winning move on the road course to potentially get the victory, but slid too wide and bounced it off the tire barrier. I think Kyle Larson is somebody to watch, though, for this weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. He is so good at rim riding around the outside. He's a guy I think you got to watch for. Cole Custer, another guy, too, to keep an eye on this weekend. You know, he's had some great Xfinity runs here and had a pretty dominant win as well a couple of years ago. I think Cole Custer might be an underdog this weekend. I can't disagree with you. You know, there, there's another guy that's kind of a, a bit of a sleeper that's new to the Gadassi team and is a good friend of the track and the community is uh, Ross Chastain. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's ready. He's, he's was phenomenal in the Xfinity Series last couple of years and he kind of put his toe in the water in the Cup Series. And I think that team's on the upswing. So, yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, we, we're going to have a lot of, uh, and I, I suspect some, some, some folks that aren't typically running up front that are going to really uh, show well here. Yeah, and you know, Ross Chastain, he's got the aggressive factor going for him. It's always entertaining to watch him race. We'll see what he can do with the number 42 car this weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. See if he can be in the hunt. Either way, it's going to be a great race, and we've got a ton of action coming up this weekend. If you can't be there, you can check out the race on Fox Sports 1 Saturday at 4.30. Is the Contender Boats 250 NASCAR Xfinity Series race, 3.30 p.m. Sunday on Fox, the Dixie Vodka 400, and there is is some limited premium seating still available for the cup race. HomesteadMiamiSpeedway.com or call 866-409-RACE. That's 866-409-RACE. Before we jump out of here, Al, I do want to put you on the spot. If you only had one pick, who's going to win Sunday's Dixie Vodka 400? Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick, a great pick. He's very good at Homestead Miami Speedway, but something about Cole Custer is standing out to me this weekend. It is a long shot call, but I am going to say Cole Custer keeps the streak of a bit of an upset winner to start the 2021 season, and he gets a win at Homestead Miami Speedway. Al, we're looking forward to watching the racing this weekend, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. You got it, Jeremy. Thank you. We'll hope to see you out here. Well, for all the action coming up for this weekend's race, Denny Hamlin is going to be your pole sitter. We talked about that qualifying metric that they're using right now in lieu of qualifying. So basically how it works, NASCAR uses a weighted mathematical equation that takes in the points position of the driver, 35% of the qualifying decision. Uh, the finishing position for the driver and owner each get 25%, and fastest lap makes up 15%. That puts Denny Hamlin on the pole, who is a fantastic 
driver when it comes to Homestead Miami Speedway. I mean, a lot of places really for Denny Hamlin, but very good at Homestead Miami Speedway. He'll start alongside Joey Logano. Christopher Bell after that win, starting in third. Kevin Harvick and Kurt Busch round out your top five with Michael McDowell. We talked about how good he has been to start the season. Our Daytona 500 champion starting in sixth. Brad Keselowski rolling off in seventh. Ryan Priest, the open car, having a fantastic run in the eighth position with Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Custer. Rounding out your top ten, there's my boy Cole Custer that I'm watching out for to maybe be an upset this weekend. And we got the Xfinity starting lineup out as well. Austin Sindrick going to be starting on the pole. He's off to another fantastic start, a first and a second. You can't ask for really anything better. Daniel Hemrick, he's going to be starting along the outside. Could he get that first National Series win? He's driving for Joe Gibbs. This is the time to get it done. I think Daniel Hemrick has a big season ahead of him. He needs to make it or break it right here. He's got one of the best teams in the sport behind him. He's got one of the best rides in this series. It's time to go out and win in 2021. Daniel Hemrick will be doing that starting from the front row. Harrison Burton, his teammate and other teammate, Brandon Jones on row two with Jeb Burton and Brett Moffat on row three. Brandon Brown starting in seventh. Justin Haley, who was in the cup race last weekend, had a solid run starting in eighth. Jeremy Clements in ninth. And Myatt Snyder rounds out that top ten. Something interesting, though, to watch for this season, and it has had a major effect on some of the new teams. Jordan Anderson, a guy who moved up to the Xfinity Series, fails to qualify just because there's not enough room for him and he doesn't get the opportunity to qualify. The same goes for Tyler Reddick, who was going to be driving in the second entry for our motorsports, the 03 car. They're fielding Brett Moffitt, who ran in that car last year in the 02, and he's full-time this year in that 02. They expanded it, but then... Qualifying at Daytona got rained out. They never got to earn any points because they didn't have the points to fall back on entering the race at Daytona. And they had a good driver in the car with Tyler Reddick to do that. They go next weekend with Tyler Reddick. There's no room for him. And they're deciding those last few positions with a mix based on 2020 owner points and 2021 owner points for the first races of the season after Daytona. Because of that situation, these new teams are really struggling. They don't have points because they didn't get a chance to run Daytona because they didn't get to qualify, and now you look at where we're heading, you're not going to qualify again until, especially for Xfinity cars, Coda, Circuit of the Americas coming up in May, I believe, for them. The Cup cars will get qualifying along with the trucks coming up for the Bristol Dirt Race, which will be one heck of a show that's going to be happening at the end of March, so that one coming up much sooner for them. Very impressive running order, too, to take a look at Ty Dillon. He's going to be back in that car starting in 13th. And another name to watch for is Santino Ferrucci, the former Formula One driver. He's got a little bit of controversy surrounding him. He made his way over to IndyCar for a bit, had some solid runs, um, and he is going to take his shot here at the Xfinity Series. Be interesting to see how he performs driving for Sam Hunt Racing as they head out to the racetrack this weekend to take on the one-and-a-half-mile Homestead Miami Speedway. A lot of places to check out all the action, too. When you're down there at the racetrack, I mean, like I said, we were talking with Al a little earlier. You have a fantastic view of everything that's going to be happening. And Chip Ganassi might have a fantastic view from the grandstands because he got suspended. Yes, Chip Ganassi, the team owner got suspended and is not going to be there this weekend. He brought someone into the competition area that was not allowed with the COVID protocols. And, you know, this is the first time we've seen NASCAR really throw down the hammer on somebody. I mean, I I can't recall the last time I saw a team owner get suspended. Chip um, has a $30,000 fine and is suspended for one week. Now, I will say this, though, and I got to admit, this is a little ridiculous to me. He's allowed to go to the racetrack. He can buy a ticket. He can go sit in a suite. He just can't go in the competition area. Anybody else gets suspended, they're not allowed to do that. 
A crew chief can't go sit in the grandstands and talk to their team, but he can be in Charlotte, North Carolina at their hub, you know, instant messaging them and the replacement crew chief while they're on suspension. Chip Ganassi can go to the racetrack when that never is allowed for anybody who's suspended. I really don't understand why he gets the extra ability to do that. But regardless, Chip Ganassi will be at the track this weekend for the NASCAR uh, racing. If he decides to buy a ticket or sit in the grandstand suites, he'll be allowed to go there, just not allowed in the garage area after he got that COVID infraction. A couple of lug nut penalties from this weekend were the only other major issues. Nothing really to report on the penalty front. And some new news, too, coming up for the Bristol Dirt Race mentioned here. Rick Ware Racing, they got a million race cars and not much funding. I don't know how they keep doing it. Chris Windham has been signed to drive in the Cup Series, the 15 NOS Energy car for Rick Ware Racing. That is a one-off for the Bristol Dirt Race, and he is one of only seven drivers who have won that USAC Triple Crown. Not a lot of guys can say they did that, so when you come out, perform that well, it is very impressive to be able to come out there and show that you can run on a dirt track and do well. If he can perform with that 15, which is not actually a well-funded car, it'd be a really great run for Chris Windham. Either way, it's going to be great action coming up this weekend as we head over to Homestead Miami Speedway. And if you missed it a little earlier, here is where you can catch all of the action. Weather is supposed to hold out, too, so let's hope for the best. Contender Boats 250 NASCAR Xfinity Series is Saturday, 4.30 on Fox Sports 1. And Sunday, 3.30 p.m., the Dixie Vodka 400 from Homestead Miami Speedway. That one will be on Fox. Thank you so much for hanging with us for the first flag to flag of the season. We're going to be here with you Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on Fox Sports 640. You can catch the podcast, too, at Podcast 1. And if there's a game on, you'll hear us after that around 11. 11 p.m. Thanks for joining us. It's Flag to Flag, your home for NASCAR in Palm Beach County. I'm Jeremy Kaufman. We'll catch you later.